Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. How's it going, everybody? Uh, my name is David Aguilar. I am a covenant member here at The Well. Um, I serve on the operations team and the creative team. That's why I have the mustache. Uh, <laughs> and I also do the McKinney Falls CG. So that would be more, but the majority of them are our kids. So if our kids were here, that would be way, way louder. Also, I would say if you want to open your Bibles, I'll be in Songs of Solomon, chapter 5, or chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. One. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like the flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and none among them have lost its young. Your lips are like scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like the halves of pomegranates behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, like rolls of stone, on it hang thousands of shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, that graze among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come, for me, come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana from the peak of Sinir and Hermon and the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard with saffron, calamus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all cheap spices. A garden fountain, a well of living water, a flowing stream from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. This is the word of the Lord. All right. We good? Good. Uh, Jason suggested that I get the scripture reader a gift card for reading that today. Thank you. Uh, Huli just said we should read it in a different language so nobody would know what's going on. But um, if you thought previous weeks was spicy, it's already hot in here. Here we go, y'all. Let's go. Um, man, I'm excited that Yusuf even mentioned how uh, these texts made him blush. Uh, he's about to for real blush today. 
right. Um, so really quick uh, caveat to begin. If you were here uh, the first week, or if you were not here, I should say, I would really, really encourage you, go back, uh, listen to that sermon in general, but particularly the first 10 minutes of it, uh, because there's all these caveats that we could give about this book each week. And in order for us to receive some level of depth to it, uh, I think that understanding the book structure or understanding the relational dynamics, uh, like how to receive this book as a single person, those caveats will really aid us in every single week. And so for time's sake, especially today, uh, I'm not going to caveat more than I did there, but go back and listen to that. If you're new, it'll be really, really helpful for today. Uh, I do want to add one layer of caveat, though, as we kind of kick off uh, this morning. Uh, We are talking about the topic of intimacy and sex for one week. That is impossible to do, okay? Uh, Like for just a single week, we are focusing on perhaps one of the most complex parts of who we are as people. And so know that there's more to say on this topic specifically, Like I honestly cut off about 30 minutes of my sermon because I was 40 minutes over upon first writing. And so there's more we can exegete even from this passage. And so I'm just gonna ask for a little bit of grace up front. Know that it's impossible to tackle all of this in one week, but as you dive in more, there is depth that you can receive. Cool? All right. Also, you like how I slid that in there? That I cut off 30 minutes of a 40 minute sermon over? All right, just slid into them DMs. So... Speaking of sliding to the DMs, let's go, all right? Um, We are talking about uh, one of the most complex things. I believe this week will be the hardest to maintain a right view of this book because we are talking about sex the entire chapter. And so for many in this room who have been hurt by sex uh, or in this season cannot have sex, this chapter could seem like it is something that is unattainable. But if you've learned anything thus far, I pray that you're beginning to see the practical wisdom of this book, but also the larger picture of the book as well. Uh, If it is true that this book is as much horizontal or vertical as it is horizontal, then this might be the most intimate, the most beautiful, the most unbelievable picture of all of the pictures in the scriptures of what our relationship could be with Christ, but unfortunately what many of us do not receive from Christ because we don't know how to pursue him like this or to receive his pursuit like this. And so rightly interpret this as we journey throughout this. Don't get lost in the garden of sex. Remember how to rightly apply this book. I think there's unbelievable depth for us this morning. So let's chop, all right? Uh, This starts off way, way sexier than I think our culture would realize. He begins by expressing her deep, deep beauty. Anytime something is stated twice, it's like the most of everything. So the holy of holies or the Lord of lords, the king of kings, that behold is also an emphasizing word in the Hebrew. So he's like, hey, you are the most beautiful of all beauties. You are the most significant one. So really important nugget from the beginning is that intimacy does not start in the bedroom. Notice he's still attracted to her and is still pursuing her fully, just not physically yet. For example, in verse three, he says, your lips, yes, those are beautiful. However, it's also your mouth, meaning her speech is also beautiful along with her physical appearance or her neck is long. Remember, dude is really, really into like really long necks, all right? 
Uh, but he also says like, hey, like you have this dignity about you. Your neck kind of carried your posture. And he's like, your dignity is like a thousand warriors and all of these shields speaking to the fact that she's strong or secure or dignified. There's more like this throughout this entire chapter where it's clear he's not just pursuing her physical beauty. He is still pursuing her character and her person. Homie isn't just rushing to sex because there's much more to sex than physical action. Sex is about intimacy. And that is really important that we understand that right from the jump, y'all. His pursuit is more than just of her body. He's pursuing her emotions, her character, her soul. And there's something underneath the surface of that application that if we can understand that, there is deep waters upon which every single one of us, whether married or single, can drink from in the midst of this chapter. And it's this idea that intimacy is so much greater than sex. And so really practically from the jump, like intimacy begins with your brain, like foreplay verbally is what we see happening here, speaking life over one another in the context of marriage, not just rushing to sex. If sex is the goal, then you will always end up painfully short of the satisfaction that God longs for you to have. If intimacy is the goal though, oh my gosh, y'all. Like, like this can be found with depth in marriage, yes and amen, but it also means the single person is not excluded from this chapter. And so I'll circle back to that in a second, but intimacy is the goal, even within marriage, not just sex, though sex is a clear picture of intimacy. But love is this really beautiful four-letter word. And sometimes you spell love T-I-M-E or T-A-L-K, before the three-letter word of S-E-X, sometimes you do these other things that begin to create intimacy that give you this depth of love that most of us aren't used to experiencing. And so this is all this talk a part of intimacy. Like notice, they don't have sex until chapter five, verse one. But all of chapter four, homie is talking to her because he's not just after sex, he's after intimacy. And there's something so much more that God would long to have for us. And we are only receiving a portion of the intimacy that God longs for us to have within marriage or within our friendships if we rush to sex way too quickly. And we're gonna end up being hurt by sex because we pursue the wrong thing for the wrong reason, chasing sex, thinking that sex is what brings intimacy when in reality, intimacy should really produce good sex. There's a different direction that we should tackle this from. That means that this is even for the singles, meaning the only thing that you are missing out on not currently having a romantic relationship is the physical act of sex, which sex is a good, it's a great gift from God, but talk or time or other forms of emotional, spiritual intimacy can be had in healthy friendships. And at times they could be had even better than in marriages. And so get the idea of intimacy in your head this morning, not just sex, all right? We're talking about intimacy in the midst of this. This chapter is speaking a ton of truth about intimacy and even the intimacy that God would long for us to experience with him We just often miss it because we are idolatrous with sex. And so think intimacy and sex is a part of that as well, okay? So notice right from the jump, right? He says that her hair is like a flock of goats. 
Gilead was this lush region. So she had this full kind of super curly hair. Remember, this is a black woman. We got that from chapter one. So get a picture here of this like long, full hair, which he personally finds really attractive. But also notice in the midst of this, I I draw out her ethnicity because actually what's happening is really intentional. It's bouncing, which means it's long, which means it's down. And in that culture to have your hair down was something that only happened in the bedroom. And so there's this safety that's happening in this very verse. There's this openness to what is about to happen. This is showing that he's not just rushing to sex. There's this trust, there's this vulnerability. There's not just passion in this. And so catch all the little nuggets that scripture is throwing in because oftentimes when we pursue sex, we're pursuing passion rather than pursuing intimacy. But one of them is gonna give you a much greater gift. The other one is gonna tempt you to be wounded, friends. In this section, he is really, really concerned about her receiving from him before he's concerned about his receiving from her. He is chasing after her pleasure, her uplifting, her intimacy before thinking about his intimacy. This is why character matters. And it's also why maintaining character matters. Because sometimes I believe that single and married couples can believe this lie that intimacy begins in the bedroom and it doesn't. Like sex might begin in the bedroom, but intimacy is I believe what all of our souls are longing for. We just cheapen intimacy to sex and then we wonder why our souls aren't left satisfied. I'm telling you there's something deep here for each of us, y'all. Remember chapter one? where she's like, hey, don't look at me. Like, like, I don't think I am beautiful. Now notice he's not rushing to touch her. Like he's continually bestowing this beauty upon her. He actually gives eight things about her physical beauty before they actually have sex. Meaning this man has high character. It does not start in the bedroom. Everything we've talked about thus far is really important as we open up this book. In fact, I am most intimate with my spouse when we are in emotional and spiritual depth that then leads to physical intimacy. That's where Song of Song chapter four, Eden-like intimacy is experienced. And because sex isn't intimacy, it's just a small part of intimacy, then each of us can experience this level of depth that our soul desires, whether we are married or not, because your soul is looking for intimacy. Your soul is not just looking for sex. Have I repeated myself enough on that? Okay, good. So this can be received from God and this can be received from others as well as being able to be received from sex and marriage. So y'all tracking so far? All right, you got that on your mind? Intimacy is what we're talking about today. Okay, so um, yeah, this is what we should be thinking about. So the man, what he does is he starts from the top of the Shulamite and then he goes all the way down to her legs in this section because apparently he ain't a feet guy. All right, or he got distracted. Hello. But he talks about her eyes, right? Her hair, then her teeth. Look, he says they're like all like used, like, like white and washed, and each of them has a twin. So homegirl had all of her teeth and they were clean. Like they have dentist or Colgate back in the day. So homegirl was ahead of her time, right? Shoot, I don't even got all of my teeth. I had to get one extracted last year. Good thing Natalie's attracted to my character, all right? So come on. Uh, He then moves to her breast, which we can tell that she is naked with him because the emphasis is on two gazelles that are grazing, which I had to think about for a second. I was like, oh, 
Get a picture in your head, all right? This is the type of stuff that make you to blush when you think too long. Like he's starring in White Chicks. Y'all remember that movie? Like nine of y'all, all right. Um, we're gonna skip over verses six and seven because it's the pinnacle of the song. We'll come back to this. But from this section, I want, I want to emphasize what I already said at the start. He's blessing her with words. And I want you to know, beloved, that God speaks way more intimate and way more beautiful truths about each of us. Like this man can only see her body and her present, but God can see your soul and your future meaning he is able to speak truth into you that creates intimacy that you long for way more than any individual can. This relates, don't get lost in the garden forest, y'all, is all I'm saying. He then repeats that she's captivated his heart. That Hebrew phrase there is the rising of the heart, means his heart is beating faster now. And then he twice uses a phrase that's really weird to us, but I believe really important for us. It seems strange for us to call someone that you're about to be intimate with your sister. But in this culture, this was a really dear term. Sister was a term of endearment, of affection, of friendship. And so these lovers will not just be lovers, but they will also be friends. You hear that? Like practical, your spouse should be your best friend. Like close to you, like a sister or a brother that you grew up with. And at times, I know that marriage can turn uh, our intimacy into this duty, into this obligation, because you're doing all the things or, or you're raising kids and you're doing it so much that you begin to treat everything functionally, even things like sex, and you lose deep intimacy and friendship with your spouse. But remember, this is not just about sex. We're talking about the importance of intimacy. And so your spouse should be intimate like a sister friend. If you're not married, you should have sisters and brothers, friends that you could spiritually and emotionally deeply connect with. Now, if you've been with us for a while, notice there's all this Eden reference that's going on here. And then the man ratchets it up a little bit and he starts to give these promised land references now milk and honey that indicated this luxury and this wealth and this abundance in that culture. He's saying under your tongue is like the promised land. Okay, Bible, I see you, God. As the kiddies would say, they're French kissing. And this is way before France became a country. So how they got dubbed with that, I have no idea, but I'm calling it Israeli kissing from now on, all right? So notice he's stepping it up a notch here, right? And now it's getting hot in here in the scripture, kind of like in this room. Uh, but put your mature hats on now, okay? I told you a couple weeks ago, I'm gonna keep it PG-13 in here, but it's important for us to understand, to see what's happening because it gives this wild instruction to each of us. He then moves into her garden, which if you read really carefully is very clearly an expression of her most intimate part. It was locked or sealed, which showed that there was sexual purity here. The experience that they were about to experience had been experienced by nobody else into this point. I'll get to that in a second. Don't get lost if that is triggering, if that's not your story, because there is redemption even in this story, if we see it rightly. But she was locked. And then you see all these fragrances, these fruits, these aromas, this intense garden imagery. And then though locked to everybody else, to him, she is a stream, water, overflowing, accessible. You don't have to think too long to notice the intentional imagery that is being placed here. 
But there was also a literal stream and a river that was flowing through Eden. So now they're back in the garden again. Listen, to find all of these things in the garden, it would have been overwhelming. Like you could search the garden endlessly and find something refreshing and beautiful and new and delightful, which is what sex in marriage could be and what it should be. Notice all five senses are mentioned in this chapter. Everything plays a role in the sexual symphony of the bedroom, such as the beauty scripture says of intimacy that is done right. And then the north wind, which was a strong wind. And then the south wind, which was a gentle wind. And then she blows on his garden. Lord, I'm going to get at least one email. Don't be mad at me. I ain't even exegeting this mug as much as I could, all right? It's the scriptures here. This is why Jewish boys couldn't read it until they were 16, okay? This is true, all right? Notice then, really importantly, really importantly, she then invites him into her garden He never demands, right? He desires, he pursues, he prepares. He has all of this high character, but then she also guides him here. His communication towards her is inviting this safe communication towards him where pleasure is better given and better received. In fact, good sex is always the result of unashamed and great communication. I hope you caught that because there's a lot to unpack that I ain't got time for. But before we get to the actual consummation, they've yet to actually have sex yet, there's a ton of fruit and things for us to unpack in the midst of this. Firstly, y'all, this is a portrait of what the ideal Christian bedroom should look like. And you're like, mine doesn't look like that. And I'm like, right, it's the ideal picture. As we said each week, relationships are hard. They take a lot of work. Even things like sex takes a lot of intentional work for you to experience the things that God wants you to experience. And so easy application, married people celebrate the gift of sex. It is a very good and a great gift from God. Like have sex. As often as you are able to, let that happen. And if you struggle with this, seek discipleship from mature couples that can help you or seek counseling where there may be past barriers set up to your present and future intimacy. Allow the work of counselors and friendships and others to smash that down so that you can start to experience this because this is a beautiful thing. It is a gift from God. Listen, really clearly, God isn't against sex. In fact, from the opening pages of the Bible, we see that God is very much pro-sex. God is not against sex. God is against your wounding. God is against the soul-damaging effects that are in your life, and He, being your creator, knows what those soul-damaging effects are. And so He tells you to practice the fire of sex safely. This idea of fire is what's being used throughout this chapter. There's a Hebrew word here, ahava, which was this passion, this this flame-like intimacy that they are experiencing. And that's why she says, don't awaken it too early. Like, Like it is tempting. You could really be ruined by it. We all know that with fire, you can cook with it, but you can also destroy things with it. It can heat things up, but it can also burn and destroy things. Like like you have to practice fire safely. That's what the scriptures are saying here because sex is not the goal. Intimacy is. But if we begin to pursue this fire wrongly, we don't get the fire of intimacy. We get the fire that destroys and that can wound us, family. Y'all remember the ice storm back in February? 
Dang, one of y'all really remembered it. Somebody's car got ruined in that mug, right? Y'all like how I switched from fire to ice real quick, all right? Um, honestly, I really love going outside after those storms because it's like really, really beautiful outside. And this is coming from someone who ain't that into nature. Like sabbatical ain't changed me that much, all right? But everything is like so pretty though. Uh, I also love going out there though, because low key, there'd be so much damage. It's just interesting to see. I know you thought it was gonna be poetic and then it turned morbid. <laughs> I don't like the damage, all right? I ain't twisted, uh, but it's fascinating to see. The damage uh, ironically came because of all of the beauty, all of the ice on the trees, which created this frozen Elsa-like wonderland, but all of that beauty was too much for the branches to bear and they ended up breaking and destroying things. You are a branch, beloved. And too much of a beautiful thing can crack your soul in half and cause significant damage to your house in the process. Often what we do is we try to accumulate more and more beauty, but you and I can only handle so much. That is why God confines sex to marriage because sex is beautiful, but it is also really heavy. Marriage can take the weight that sex produces Sex is this powerful thing. And the greater the vessel that, 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 that you need for the midst of sex, like that vessel can only be contained within the covenants of marriage. We all know that sex is powerful. We all know that it's beautiful, but can be damaging. I mean, we all know it because look at how much sex sells right? Like you're watching a tire commercial and somehow it's this like sexy woman. It's like, well, how is that going to help my car? And yet somehow it sells. Like, look at how many of us feel less than when we can't have sex. Look at how many of us are caught up in the vice of sexual sin. In fact, even secular psychology would show us that sex is not just a physical or a biological act. There are these intense emotional, and the scriptures would tell us these intense spiritual uh, connections that are happening when the two become one flesh. But what the world tells us, what it screams at us constantly in virtually all forms of communication is that you are less than and you are missing. You are not whole if sex is not a part of your life. So now even... As Christians, we begin to pursue sex as the answer rather than intimacy as the answer. And even when we're married, what we're pursuing is sex rather than intimacy. So we're missing the deep desires that our soul craves because we're pursuing the wrong thing, sex over intimacy. Beloved, sex is beautiful, but it really ain't all that. And look, it's great. I'm not trying to downplay it. Did you see what we just read? It's like Eden-like experiences. Sex is a beautiful gift, but do you know how much more there is to marriage and how much more there is to life? Like, like y'all, do this thought process with me really quickly. Think about this section even. We're going back to Eden, but one day all of us who believe will be going into the kingdom of God. Food will be in the kingdom of God. Uh, uh, wine will be in the kingdom of God, which we read in this section. Uh, friendship will be in the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that sex and marriage won't be in the kingdom of God? We're not having sex. We ain't getting married in heaven. Jesus said that really clearly. So all of these other good things will be there, 
but this good thing of sex won't be there, which must mean that sex is good, but are you really missing out on kingdom-like things when you're not having sex? Like things that exhilarate your soul? like who you truly are, you are not missing out on something better unless you think that heaven's gonna be whack because sex and marriage ain't there. Like, no, heaven is going to be beautiful, but the body is really important. And so sex is this important thing while we are on earth. Do you feel the fence that the Bible is trying to put us on? Like, like God created the body and the soul and what we do with our bodies, it impacts our souls. And so this is why scripture says not to awaken this idea of sex too early. Like real talk, I have never known a single person who regretted waiting for marriage for sex because then they recognize sex isn't really all of that. It's great, but it actually just serves this greater purpose. Like I have known many who have regretted not waiting for marriage. And I believe that one of the greatest deceptions of Satan is to tell you that what sex does is give you this instant gratification and begin to make you whole. That is a lie, beloved, lie. Tell Satan and the culture that constantly breathes down, curse the lies of the devil because they're trying to speak a truth over you that the scripture is not speaking. Work on your relationship with God, learning how to be intimate with him like this, and then learn all the other forms of appropriate intimacy at the right time, because that is what breathes a life for the soul. Too much, too soon damages like the ice storm. And we need to realize that it's great, but it serves a greater purpose. Here's also what I know, saints. It's that in a room this big, there are literally hundreds who have experienced sexual brokenness. We may feel shame for not waiting. We may totally agree with the scriptures, but have fallen at different times. We may see the wisdom, but like lack the application of this. Saints of Christ, God can heal that, beloved. Do you hear me? Like God wants you. And God can heal whatever we have chosen to do that is not in line with what he desires. God knows how to make you whole again. Israel, who they prostituted themselves after other gods, God tells Israel, I can make you a virgin again. That is an unbelievable truth that applies to us, the church that is now kind of a representation of Israel. Like God can deliver you if you're caught up in sexual cycles, caught up in it with others, caught up in it with things like pornography, which is not God's design. And every single secular study would show that it ruins marital intimacy. Like God can deliver you from that family. This is why things like the purity groups that we do matter so, 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 so much. Because there are these ways, these tools that we can be delivered from pursuing sex over intimacy, y'all. So sign up for them, they're coming this summer. Like find ways to deliver this so you're not captivated by these things that aren't fully satisfying. Do an honest inventory with your soul and say, does this stuff satisfy? It doesn't. What we're looking for, Christ has wrapped up in himself, family of God. Like he wants you, he desires you. He gave himself up fully for you that he might complete you. Sex is, is meant to be this moment where we are completely naked and unashamed before somebody else. Christ was hung up naked. And when they tried to shame him, Christ was not ashamed of you, beloved. 
He died for your sins, knowing what those sins were. Though the world was trying to shame him, Christ was truly naked that you may be brought into the family of God again. And what we do is try to put fig leaves on and go, God, I am not worthy. That is an anti-gospel. The gospel says, I see you and I want you in anyway. God can heal. No matter the brokenness of our past, Christ can cleanse us from that. Listen, some of you have had sexual things done to you that have broken you, that have harmed you sexually and tainted this view of intimacy. I am in that camp, beloved. I have had things that are done to me as a child that ruins this idea of intimacy. And I am telling you that Christ can heal you. Like I have experienced the healing and the renewal of God where he is renewing my mind and reshifting. We just need to learn to apply this type of chapter to God to believe his word. And where the enemy wants to leave you in a shameless cycle, where he tempts you and then shames you and then tempts you and then shames you and allows you feeling less than whole, though telling you that sex will make you whole, God wants to break that cycle and actually make you whole, family. This is what is true all throughout the scriptures. And rather than removing intimacy from you, he actually wants to give you a greater intimacy. You just have to know that intimacy is not found in sex only. Okay, let me back up, okay? Can, can I apply this section to married people and to single people? Yeah, I'm about to like break a blood vessel in here or something. <laughs> married people, chapter five, verse one. Intimacy, particularly sex, which is what happened between chapter four and five, is this wild act of oneness. Notice all the times he calls the Shulamite my in this section. And this isn't like some weird possessive, it's this sheer gratitude of union. It's a joining. It's the feeling of two becoming one flesh. My, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Sex is a gift from God. And what sex should produce is gratitude, thanksgiving to God. It should produce a continual commitment to the covenant of marriage. I think about it like this. Baptism is this one-time act where we get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And baptism is like the marriage vows, where you stand up at the altar and say, I am Christ and Christ is mine, yes and amen. But sex is like communion. You know how we take communion every week to represent the covenant of baptism, of salvation that we proclaim. And so communion acts like the gift of sex and sex in marriage reminds us of the covenantal vows that we made. You tracking with that? And so this continual recommitment when it is done in right context that should remind you of the covenant and create this life and enjoyment and this protection around your marriages. Remember that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church? Ephesians 5 tells us. And so what is it that you're displaying when you're having sex in marriage? You're showing your spouse how safe God is, how pleasurable God is, how intimate you can be with God. We are imaging real things about a real God when we have sex in the right ways, which is why our sexual purity matters. What sex should be imaging is God's covenantal love of you, that he is giving himself fully to you and you fully to him, and he is making you one with him. That's what we're imaging, y'all. And when it's done in other ways, we're not imaging that, and then we're wondering why spiritually we're getting hurt. It's because that is not a true picture of what our soul was made for. And so sex is not the end game in marriage. Being naked and unashamed is the end game. Naked physically, yes, but also naked emotionally, spiritually. 
like truly unashamed. And so sex is a part, but only a part of the intimacy that we can have with God. Single people, there are several practical things that I want us to think about from this text. First of all, at a base level, you have to believe that God is true and that his words are good in order for you to follow a command that is hard like this in our culture. Do you hear me? And if you don't believe that God is true, if you don't believe that God's words are good, ask him to help you. Ask him to help you believe that what he is saying is truly for your life and wholeness, that he's not withholding, he's wanting to give to you, that the Lord can fulfill even where you don't have a spouse or even where a spouse isn't fulfilling, God can still step in and make you whole. You have to have faith to believe that. You have to believe that there's this intimacy that could be had that no human flesh could ever measure up and give you. And we display that to the world constantly. Verse one can be true in your relationship with God as well. Just as it's true in marriage, each of us can experience that level of depth with God. Additionally, here's what I also know. is that scripture always, God meets us with a special grace where the call is harder to carry out all the time. Um, I think that being single and not having sex when it is a part of our physical desire is a really hard thing. But what I also know is that every hard thing that God has always called me into, he's also given me the grace to complete that hard task which means I believe that if you're single right now, God can give you the grace to actually believe him and to follow him and to obey his word. This is where even things like homosexuality or other sexual expressions comes into play in the midst of this. Now, this isn't a sermon on this. We'll talk about this more in the future. Uh, but we do think that the Bible's ethics, what God says will create the most flourishing for our souls is a man and a woman that are in union together. But a part of the reason that this sounds so almost hostile is that we think that we are less. We think that if we cannot have sex or get married, then somehow we are less than or not whole. Did you hear the entire first part of the sermon? <laughs> Like sex is not the goal. Make no mistake, it is a beautiful gift from God, but it is only one of God's many gifts. If part of what being whole means is that you have to have sexual needs met, then yes, Jesus is stopping you from wholeness. But Jesus didn't have sex. He never has, and he never will. And he is the most whole person that has ever been Meaning, apparently, we're not missing out on something if we cannot have sex or marriage that we cannot also receive from Christ. Like, there's tons of resources on this if you want. Like, biblical, gospel-centered, like, how do we do this? What does it look like to walk in the midst of this? But I want to say this here. As I'm tying it into what God just gave, like a greater grace when things are harder to obey his hard commandments, there's also a special reward that comes when things are harder as well. God gives a greater grace, and he also gives a greater reward. Singleness or choosing celibacy because of attraction, like this is hard, but God isn't calling you into a hard thing without recognition or reward or protection or grace, beloved. Isaiah 56, turn there with me real quick. 
Hear this. It says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch, which in that culture was a person who for whatever reason was not able to have sex. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says Yahweh, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, aka follow my law, who choose the things that please me, aka believe my commands are good and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. I am a married man. I have daughters. I can tell you of the unbelievable gift that it is to have daughters. But what God says is while marriage is hard, like at least you get to practice some things. And guess what? Those daughters, those are your rewards. Who by the way, in heaven, you will be closer to my daughters than I ever was on earth. So my reward is very momentary. But for those who choose not to practice these sexual desires, but rather give themselves to the Lord because they believe that God's word is true. He says, for you, I will give you monuments in heaven. Question, in the kingdom of God, who are our eyes supposed to be focused on? Jesus, right? Like, and yet while we're focusing on Jesus, I see a monument of you because you decided to save yourself and to practice the biblical commands. Like it's going to be there for eternity. So whose reward is greater, mine or yours? What God will give grace to, to help you as you cling to him, God will also give reward to when you practice this family. And so is it hard? Yeah, the Bible's never saying it's not. However, it does not make you whole when you have sex or marriage. That's not what wholeness is. Wholeness is intimacy and you and I can experience that with each other and where it is hard, God gives grace, beloved and God gives reward. Talking to single people on my team this week, I thought it was really powerful what they had to say about even this idea of intimacy with God. One of them said, as a single person who has chosen celibacy for the sake of her relationship with God, this passage and song doesn't isolate her. While she may not gain this physically, she, doesn't, or she does gain this spiritually. She can come before God completely purified she is totally naked before God and he sees her and chooses to love her anyway where a husband never would, no matter how great he would be. This is something beautiful that we can all lean into. Another person said as a piece of encouragement, this was a journey for her that believing this about God took her years and years. And another single brother said, yes, me too. I didn't believe this at first, but as I've submitted myself to God, I've realized that this is true and what God says is good and there's life to this. Because let's be honest, even most married people, it takes years for intimacy, right? Do you know that psychologists say that the best sex doesn't come until after 15 years of constant sex with the same person in a monogamous relationship? It takes 15 years to have good sex. Some of y'all are like, I'm on year 14. Wow, praise God. <laughs> it takes time. Just like it takes time for us to develop intimacy with God, family. But if and as we practice this, it can be ours. 
I think about all these quotes that I've heard from like all these different individuals that are like intellectual scholars and yet they've experienced a level of depth that you and I would have a hard time explaining. For sake of time, I cut out most of them, but I kept two. D.L. Moody, who was a president uh, evangelist, he said, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I, I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Don't come closer. This is too much. Blaise Pascal, the famous apologetic and uh, theologian, said in the year of 1654, Monday, 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half an hour after midnight, fire. The God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and not of the learned. Certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. There are all these that I don't have time for. When I think of David in the Psalms that says he wants to gaze at God, just like the man was gazing at the woman here. And he wants to inquire of God, just like the man was inquiring of the woman here. He was in Christ, as Paul would say. David would say that the glory that he felt was way more powerful than the intimacy he ever experienced with a human. Yes, sex brings pleasure to the body for a moment, but God can bring pleasure to the soul for a lifetime. And that is what we are pursuing. You might ask, well, how in the heck do I get that with the Lord? That's another sermon for another day, but stay at the well. And we talk about it all the time. I will say this, others end up at the end of this text. Isn't that so weird? At the end of verse one, it's like they just had sex and others are like, yeah. <laughs> That's weird, right? And yet this is poetry. What is it showing us? It's like, hey, others are involved in our intimacy with one another, yes, but also in our relationship with the Lord. So ask others who you think have this amount of intimacy to help you learn how to be intimate with God like this, y'all. I am telling you, I have experienced the presence of God that the best sex couldn't even come dare close to touching, y'all. It has stayed my soul on course for this entire journey so far because of how deep and near God can be. And that is true for every single one of us. Listen, here's why we know this is true. Can I end with this? As we think about how to apply this, thanks for staying with me, it's hot in here. Let me finish with this. Go back to the verses six and seven earlier. The husband sees this bride as perfect, flawless, no imperfection, like if only such a bride existed, right? Oh, church of God, this bride does exist. Her name is you. If you are in Christ, the Bible says that you are now engaged to be married to God on that great day. He is our bridegroom and beloved, you are his bride. And when he looks at you, he sees no flaw in you. This is an unbelievable truth. Like, like Jesus, y'all, was perfectly intimate with the Father, literally one with him. Sex is a physical act of the spiritual reality of the two becoming one flesh. Jesus though was always one with the Father. He did not have to become one with the Father. And yet Jesus did become a man. 
And on that cross, as Jesus was naked and trying to be shamed and being crucified, he lost intimacy with the Father in heaven. And the one became two, so that you who should forever need to be separated from God might now have true intimacy because of the blood of Jesus poured out for you family of God, you can have this story. You can have this level of intimacy in your marriages, yes, but in your relationship with God. And if you find it, I am telling you, you will realize that you are lacking nothing despite your relational status, whatever that might be. And so for our church, I pray that we would always be encouraging marriages. Like marriage is a beautiful thing. It's representing, it's showing us Christ. Yes and amen. But all that much more, I pray that we would always be encouraging one another. There is more of Jesus to be had. And if you can get Song of Songs chapter four, like experience with God, I am telling you, your soul will endure to the end. Let us forever chase that as a church. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your power, for your wholeness, for your pursuit of us. Oh, Christ, I hate American time constraints sometimes. There's so much more to be said, even in the midst of this text. And so, Father, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would keep illuminating these truths, Jesus. That where something that I said that may have been hard to palate, that may have been hard to receive and understand, I pray that these saints would go and wrestle with you and not allow the culture to disciple them, not allow their own souls to disciple them, that you, Jesus, would be their discipler, that you would begin to draw into this level of depth that can be had with you. God, I have felt deliverance. I have been healed from so many things because of intimacy with you. You have made me new again. You see me as perfect and flawless and whole. And I believe you desire that for every single man and woman that is here this morning. And so God, I pray that you would bestow upon your saints and bestow upon these people that are seeking your face, you would bestow upon them healing and wholeness, God. That where foreign enemies have come in and tried to strip their purity or tried to strip their intimacy, that you would re-give it upon them, Jesus Christ. That where there are individuals that are wrestling with, with what it means to follow you, that you would give them grace. You would remind them of the kingdom that is to come. Jesus, I pray healing and I pray intimacy over every single man and woman in this room in your beautiful name, Jesus. That there would be depth with you that is beautiful, that is holy, that is sacred, that is wonderful, that is mysterious like this chapter, that there would be wholeness in you, Christ. God, where we are searching for the wrong things, I pray you would cast those away from us. And I pray we would seek after the right things, Jesus, believing that what you have for us is good. God, I pray for some in this room that they would enter into relationship with you where they may not have had true intimacy like this, that today they would say, I want to be married to Jesus. I want to go into the wedding feast on that great day. I want relationship with the God of the universe. And I pray that you would promise them, as you promised them, you would help them receive the promise that if they have faith, they have intimacy with you today. And that they could be made new today. 
And Christ, for all of us who have received that intimacy in part, help us to receive it more, Jesus, to begin to receive it in full. God, we love you, we thank you, we worship you. I pray depth with you in your sacred and your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.